Hello, thanks for choosing the Looms and Me podcast. We are all about growth and realistic self-betterment, both in our personal and professional lives. I'm Looms, and if you're anything like me, then you're doing a pretty passable job of adulting and just hoping for the best. So I hope this series helps you as much as it's helping me. There's a new episode every Sunday, but if you want more, then head to looms.me. This week, I wanted to try something a little bit different and introduce you to my other podcast that I do on a weekly basis with my one of my best friends, Jeeves. We talk about tech, health, science, pop culture, really anything that catches our eye in the week gone by. I didn't mean for that to rhyme, but it did. And here we are <laughs> just going with it. So I think you will all enjoy it. There is also a little bit of the usual self-development, self-betterment sprinkled in for good measure, just because it's a big part of who I am as well. And Jeeves has a background in science and femtech as well. So we're, we have really, really cool conversations, well, conversations that we think are cool anyway, and that we think that others would probably enjoy, if not be amused or entertained by them. So have a listen. I'd love to hear what you think. If you enjoy it, then tell all your friends and your foes as well. Our topic of the week is scarcity mindsets and the ways in which they can hold so many of us back. We'll tell you what it is and how you can overcome it. But first, we have some listener feedback from last week's episode. Yes, we do. So last week we talked about safety in online dating and how some apps were trying to improve. We also included our suggestions for how things could be safer. We have a lot of thoughts. (laughs) Always. So here's what one of our male listeners said in response to our question about whether a man would use a safer dating app. Not because it was safer, but if it meant higher caliber people, then maybe. The problem is dating apps are all the same people, which is an issue that Looms highlighted last week. Yes. Kind of doesn't matter what app you're on. It's all the same same faces. And he also mentioned that I think Hinge takes bad messages quite seriously, as I got my mate banned once. <laughs> to know what I said. <laughs> Lol. Also, he was pissed. <laughs> he also included that detail. Um, yeah, so that's an uh, interesting take. It is an interesting take. I guess uh, men, well, the listener who fed this back, the male who fed this back, isn't as concerned about safety in that same way. It's more a quality play for him which is great i haven't even thought about quality was we're all just trying to like survive make it to the end of the day in in one piece make it to the end of the conversation in one piece so i guess yeah you would expect that if you're paying you would get more quality but as we discussed last week that's not quite how it works no no but thank you so much dear listener for that feedback we love it we love feedback yeah keep it coming yes keep it coming details are in the show notes join the group chat share your thoughts if you do disagree with us or agree with us but also if you disagree yeah we're open to all sides of a story yeah and we'll share the feedback that we like uh (laughs) what else besides this lovely piece of feedback has been a highlight for you this week Jeeves well you may or may not have heard that Elon Musk is trying to buy Twitter so heard. it all started, I guess, when it was revealed that he owned uh, about 9% stake in Twitter. And for those of you who don't know, he's a very big Twitter user. He posts like 
three times a day. I don't really know how he has the time on top of SpaceX and Tesla, but he spends a lot of time on Twitter. So, yes, he has a uh, about 9% stake. And to put that in context, Jack Dorsey, who founded, founded Twitter, yeah. yep, um, who's no longer the CEO, but he was the person who founded it, owns a 2.3% stake. So 9% may not sound like a lot, but in the context of... Wow. Uh, things it's a lot for for one person to own and essentially he has now put in a bid to buy twitter and make it a private company for a share price of 52 uh, sorry 54 dollars and 20 cents the current share price is about 45 dollars so obviously that's a good deal for shareholders yeah. they would make a lot of money but it's a decision that is to be made by the board and I guess there's a bit of controversy at the moment where if they decide against it, that's quite clearly against the interest of shareholders. I don't have a super strong opinion on this situation. The two camps seem to be the pro-Elon Musk free speech camp. Uh, essentially, one of his big things is he wants to buy Twitter, uh, obviously, to change how it works in some ways. One of the big things is censorship on Twitter. You can't say absolutely anything and the other camp is not on board with that they would prefer twitter to kind of remain as it is looms any thoughts i i do have some thoughts about that i'm not a twitter user i have a twitter account but i don't really use it and from the perspective of somebody who's an outsider looking in i never understood twitter because there's porn on Twitter. You're yeah. That you're allowed to. So I already it's thought crazy. That you were yeah. I already thought you were able to say and do whatever you wanted on Twitter. I didn't realize unless you were somebody who had a seismic, whose words could have a seismic impact on the world, like a president of a global superpower, for instance, or a politician or something like that. I obviously knew that they are under a different type of scrutiny, but because there's porn and drugs and all the things that stereotypically you would expect major companies to block out because they're universally regarded in a certain way yeah I didn't realize that there was this free speech issue and also having seen this in the news recently I did see a take where uh, it's Elon's Elon Musk's view of free speech is very specific in that it's Free speech is only free if there are no consequences as opposed to because I believe that free speech is you can say whatever you want, but there might be consequences to what you say. But you yes. can still say what you want, whereas he disagrees with that in that his view is you can say what you want and will and you're allowed to say what you want, whatever you want about whatever you want. And if there's consequences, then it's a violation of your ability to say what you want. Yeah, it's quite an extreme version of free speech. And I think it's an interesting one because, you, as you said, you can say whatever you want, but obviously some things are illegal to say. So I guess things like libel, you're not allowed to slander people in traditional media. Whereas, I suppose, in, in Elon Musk's Twitter, that wouldn't be a thing hate speech and stuff like that I'm assuming wouldn't be a thing 
either. So. Yeah. There, and also when you think about it, there's, there's so many proponents of this, of this idea that every single person on the planet is entitled to be heard, to say what they want and also be heard. But historically, there are no examples of what, of a humanity where every single tiny thought, mind, anything that comes into your mind and is just said out loud, like that, that's never existed as a, as a structure. So the idea, which again, I saw where he says that he thinks it's in the best interest of humanity for everyone to be able to say what they want. How do we know that it's in the best interest of humanity when there's, we've never seen anything like that before. There's never been a time when a society has been able to continue functioning in the best interests of everybody in that society where there wasn't some sort of set of rules around conduct. Yes. We can't. So I don't think that we can just go ahead and do and say whatever it is that we want without consequences, because how can a society function in the best way for everybody? And granted, not uh, there are a lot of societies that currently don't function very well for everybody, but it's removing all rules around what you can and can't say. The answer, I don't know. Yeah. Is that actually going to make things better in any way? I think you're right that society has created rules because we needed them. If we were able to live just like this YOLO life doing whatever we yeah. wanted, <laughs> that, that's where we would be now. But obviously that doesn't work because somewhere along the line, some caveman was like, no, we need some rules here. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, it does seem a bit of a strange uh, approach to take. I wonder if there's any specific messages that he feels are being censored by Twitter at the moment and I don't you know a huge amount about that but may maybe that's the kind of triggering factor yeah it'll be interesting to see when he made this decision to to buy it and what the thing was that I guess got him in Twitter jail because something obviously put him in Twitter jail <laughs> <laughs> well I'm trying to think I don't I don't know if he's been banned or anything no. like that and I mean let's 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 be real just because something isn't allowed on Twitter doesn't mean that there aren't other platforms where you can say what you want. Like Telegram, for instance, yeah. is completely untraceable, anonymous. You say whatever you want. So these conversations are already happening, but is the right thing to do to bring them to the mainstream? I don't know. And I'm also not sure that our algorithms are sophisticated enough to not just propagate what's the most popular. Well, exactly. So I think I did see him post somewhere where he said, will allow anything, but we won't necessarily let the algorithm propagate negative, like very clearly negative things. And I think how, do, like you'd have to very obviously put that kind of check in place because I think the natural way the algorithms work is to promote what ends up being divisive or extreme because that's what people tend to click on and, and it's about engagement. Exactly. So they'd have to put in some very clear safeguarding against that if you're allowed to say anything yeah. at all. It sounds like he's relying on the existing algorithms by saying, let's tweak the existing algorithms so they don't promote hateful stuff. But the existing algorithms are were designed to promote things that engage. So if you're not, if you're thinking I'm going to buy Twitter and just like let everyone say what they want to say without completely dismantling and rebuilding the algorithm from the ground up, you're going to, you're just going to end up in a much in a much worse place it's better the devil you know i suppose <laughs> yeah, yeah interesting well but. in other news this week perhaps not as globally seismic 
as this, but I read a story about a young teenage gorilla at Lincoln Park Zoo who has a he has a slight addiction to screen he's getting too much screen time <laughs> so guests who are visiting the zoo are coming and obviously taking lots of videos and photos and stuff but he has developed an addiction to looking at the screens of visitors who walk by his enclosure so he has a favorite spot now his name is Amare and he is 16 years old <laughs> and you would think it's fine he doesn't actually own a phone but yeah. he's worked out the best place to sit to get maximum view of the screens that go past. And this was this really only became a problem when he was attacked by a fellow gorilla who, in traditional gorilla form, which is what they do when they're adolescents, is they fight for dominance. They fight to see like who's uh. going to be the head gorilla in charge, I suppose. And because he was so distracted... <laughs> <laughs> by his cell phone oh, he didn't see the attack coming and he was beat up by another gorilla and so the zookeepers have a lot of concerns and now they're trying to find a way to uh to reduce his access to screen time so they, they put notices up they've put a buffer zone around the enclosure so visitors to the zoo can keep their distance and not that is crazy that's also so sad it is it really is they're trying to keep yeah they're trying to keep visitors away from the glass partition and they're explaining it uh and if they catch because obviously he responds to the screen and so visitors want to engage with him and so they'll show him the screen and show him videos and stuff because people want to connect with the animals and it's just not in his best interest they want to connect with the animals using a screen that feels counterintuitive but okay it does so i saw that and so the zookeepers one of the zookeepers has teenagers at home he was like i have this problem at home <laughs> and now i need to figure out a solution for for the zoo maybe it will translate well to teenagers whatever they figure out yeah it shows how addictive phones are even he who doesn't own a phone and is only getting these tiny glimpses has some, somehow managed to become addicted to yeah. screens. That is, I feel like that's a that's something that should fill us with great concern in a way. Yeah, to the point where it's it's affecting his natural instincts. So he's no longer participating in the natural gorilla hierarchy instinct to interact with the other gorillas and yeah. form those bonds and decide... Well, that's chain. exactly how I feel screens are impacting us as people, right? Yeah, this is where we, we get reports, yeah. <laughs> screen time reports. <laughs> exactly. Well, we don't care about bonding with other people. We just want to scroll. Yeah, we, we want to bond with people through the screen. If I, if I crazy. go to one more brunch and see a, a large group of people all on their phones. So sad. <laughs> You're quite good with your phone, though. You You don't. You don't go on your phone. You try not to go on your phone when you're around people. Yes. Yeah. I've made it a rule when I'm out with friends or whoever that I don't get my phone out. And I've tried to even stop getting it out when they go to the bathroom because there's that moment when you're suddenly alone at a table and you're like, where do I look? You just feel comfortable looking at your phone, but I've been resisting recently and I sort of look around. Sometimes I make awkward eye contact with a waiter, <laughs> but it is better, I think. Like, I'm glad I do that. And yeah, I find it so frustrating 
seeing people who are out with other people and they're just looking at their phone. Uh, that was something I consciously made a decision about when I went on a work trip recently and I extended my stay to spend a weekend on my first solo travel trip. And I wanted to be, I was very specific about not wanting to sit at my, on my phone when I was eating out alone, mm. something I was not very comfortable with at all. And just, just, it's just not something I'd done before. I haven't traveled alone before really without a purpose, without like a wedding or like for work. And so I decided I'm going to be on the solo trip. It's just going to be me. I'm going to, I'm just going to sit in the discomfort and see what, see what happens. Just a bold move to make. <laughs> <laughs> and what, what happened? It was actually fine. I put my phone away. I had the, uh, I brought headphones as well, just in case I needed to, uh, I wanted, I just wanted some additional stimulus, but I actually didn't sit on my phone at all. I brought a book, my phone and headphones, but I didn't use any of them. I just sat and observed others around me in the nice. restaurant which for me was fun but for others I'm fairly certain they were creeped out I, <laughs> why is she staring yeah th there were a lot of those conversations happening but they're all <laughs> they're all in Italian so I uh, I I it just didn't bother me because I didn't understand what they were saying but I could I could sense the energy I knew it was weird yeah I do often think I wonder if people think I'm weird when I'm not looking at my phone and I'm sitting alone at a table waiting for someone to come from the bathroom. I think in, I think in reality, no one is thinking about anyone no, but themselves. No, no one's paying attention. However, <laughs> it's a lot more fun to imagine that everybody thinks you're weird <laughs> and then hold eye contact a little bit longer than you're supposed to. <laughs> so this is how we get our kicks. Yes. <laughs> it's not for everyone, but it is in fact for the brave. On to another topic. Anything else that has caught your eye this week? I mentioned last week that I've been going back into the office and I've been trying to, as part of that process of trying to readapt to being back in the real world, I've been trying to find the best way to commute in. And living in London, there are a lot of different options. All of that to say, I saw an article from a German publication and it was about how Berlin's public transport operator did a special promotion uh, a week before Christmas for a week and they introduced an edible hemp ticket. So their tickets for one week were made from edible paper and laced with three drops of hemp oil in order to help alleviate the stress of travel at Christmas and wow. take the edge off to boost the mood. Now, I, I've never tried drugs <laughs> but I, I do know that hemp is not it's, it's a not very a different drug, compound I guess it's like it's legal <laughs> I mean I know that hemp is not weed but for for me who's never tried drugs hemp is pretty close <laughs> I'm looking at you James I to tell me about hemp does it actually don't relax? Don't actually know anything about hemp. I guess is it similar to CBD, which is also obviously a derivative of like marijuana. I think there's only one way to find out, and that is to start <laughs> putting drops of CBD oil, I guess, on your oyster card. Is this and promoting drugs? It? <laughs> <laughs> I thought what was, what I thought was really funny was that the travel company had to make it very clear that anyone who wanted to use the ticket as an actual ticket should only nibble on it and then eat it after the journey. <laughs> so as... it doesn't really serve its purpose of de-stressing you well, before the journey. <laughs> you can nibble it, but if it has a massive bite out of it, then it's no longer a valid ticket. So... <laughs> 
all good things. All good things are laced with uh, terms and conditions. I thought that was really interesting. This yeah. Week. What that about you? A nice, innovative <laughs> way to handle travel stress. Can you imagine if the tube, if everyone who got on the tube was laced with some sort of CBD hemp situation? Yeah, I think it would probably be a nicer place, to be honest. It'd be a lot calmer, wouldn't yeah. it? It'd be a lot less frantic. We'd also Maybe we would smile at each other. No, that'd be weird. Ugh. No, I don't want that. Nobody wants that. We no, are still Londoners. Yeah, like, yeah. Sorry. Not acceptable. <laughs> that went right through me. I didn't enjoy saying <laughs> that. I know you didn't enjoy hearing it. So we're not, we're going to pull that idea off the table. We won't go into that any further. <laughs> Another interesting thing I saw this week was a narrative device app that generates the first few sentences of a story with AI and you give it two sort of themes and it creates a story based on those themes and it's quite a cool tool for writers potentially struggling for inspiration but it's also just fun to play around with and see what the AI comes up with so I want to share with you a story that was created using the themes tortoise and bank holiday as it it. is currently the bank holiday weekend the tortoise and the bank holiday were having a conversation how come we don't have a bank holiday on the same day as the earth asked the tortoise there's a reason (laughs) said the bank holiday people would be so busy trying to get money out of the bank that they wouldn't have time to enjoy the rest of the day (laughs) love it like that's hilarious <laughs> that is complete chaos but it's kind of cute like I really like how it's used bank holiday <laughs> as like a character as opposed to a thing like I think that's quite creative and funny and I reckon you could spin that off into something hilarious so yeah it's it's quite a cool tool obviously it's fun but it does bring about a larger point about human and machine interaction and the concept that machines can be creative like I would have never thought to make the bank holiday a character like it is quite cool I love everything about that I love everything about that story it and and I I think a while back I, I shared a link with you about where Netflix had done something similar where they said that they had created an AI forced it to consume a lot of movies and rom-coms and all the and then like let the robot the ai robot uh yes, make I a remember. story right so i'm all about that especially because i feel like as humans we're only limited by what we know and we can only know so much i guess yeah at the, wherever we at whatever stage we're at so having anything that can help to spark that creativity i'm all about it but what I uh, this I just found an example of a similar AI creating <laughs> creating this, uh, writing a stand-up set, basically. <laughs> so I'll read a little excerpt from it. <laughs> what is deal with kids hating vegetables? I cook broccoli Obama and my son reboots <laughs> ISIS. Y'all oh. eat. <laughs> And there's another one. Last yesterday, my son say he want to be Tony Hawk. I say, if you want to be bird, holler your bones. (laughs) (laughs) 
That's so strange, but it's like... Oh, I think it's... I don't know if Netflix invented that robot or if it bought the idea from someone else or if it's even a real robot. But if you go on YouTube and you look up Netflix is a joke, which is their comedy, Netflix comedy channel, and you type Netflix is a joke robot, there's so, so many of this where this AI robot has supposedly written their version of rom-coms. It's like a minute long. And it's like these rom-coms or... Uh, action movies or stand-up specials and things like that where it's like that's that's sort of the idea and i thought that was i was a big fan of that so yes i'm all about it the merging yeah i also like how terrible that sounded because it also means that we won't be replaced (laughs) yes well i think i think yeah exactly it's not created something that is standalone amazing work of art but it is something that could spark some human creativity potentially. Um, so yeah, it's definitely a human machine collaboration as opposed to them taking over and enslaving us. Yeah. So I, yeah, hundred percent agree. What to, to caveat that as well. I haven't looked into whether or not that Netflix robot is real. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? As in, if it's really as an in, AI? Yes. Or if the whole concept of it is part of the, humor of what they're trying to do or whether it's this real ai doing that or if it's a person who's written that as if it's an ai i don't know i don't know the details there Uh, if it's a real robot it it must be a real like machine learning thing that has strung that together i think what's interesting and we won't get into it today is robot and like machine learning algorithm that creates text or video or whatever and not the same thing like it's not the robot in your head that is metal and sort of anthropomorphized it's a algorithm on a computer but yes we won't get into that fully today at some point we need to dig dig into that not today not today (laughs) but at some point we need to yes right on to our topic of the week and our topic of the week is scarcity mindset See, i say scarcity that's because you're some sort of foreign american <laughs> definitely scarcity it could but... also be because i'm correct is it scarcity <laughs> or is it scarcity let us know but that's what we're talking about today is the scarcity mindset and some of the ways in which it can show up and potentially be holding us back all of us back in ways that we don't maybe recognize recognize but before we actually dig into why or how it can hold us back we should probably explain what we mean when we say that yes so I think you should explain that (laughs) (laughs) so I think about scarcity mindset as being a way of seeing the world where things that are not finite appear finite to you and because you see the world through that lens you feel like when somebody has something or gets something that you want, you then feel like there's less, there's going to be less left for you. That's sort of how I think about it in a general sense. What about you? So I look at it as when you think that there is a limited amount of something in the world and you need to hold on to the piece of it that you might have or if other people have it 
it almost feels like you're losing out in some way because there's only this limited amount and if they've got some you're not going to get some or that that kind of thinking that there's just not enough of whatever Whatever it is is. yeah I think I think that's a really good way of putting it too it's when you think that there is not enough of, of something that you want then you tend to make decisions that come from perhaps not the most helpful place yeah it's often a place of fear of loss yeah absolutely so that's sort of what we mean when we not sort of that is what we mean when we talk about scarcity mindset for instance when we walked into my living room today to record this episode where we record all our all of our episodes the temperature was untenable because we're recording this (laughs) on what might be the hottest day of the year so far so far yeah it's 21 degrees in London today which is I would say wonderful whereas I would say the complete opposite because I'm a creature of the abyss and (laughs) (laughs) I thrive at temperatures below 12 degrees celsius is where i find the most clarity so we walked in here and i thought that the oxygen levels in this home (laughs) were very finite (laughs) i had really deep scarcity mindset thoughts about the amount of oxygen that we had to play with and the temperature but yes so that is what we're talking about when we say scarcity mindset and so the ways in which this could potentially hold you back for me personally the place where they've held me back the most have been in dating and they, but they can also hold people back professionally too. There's one example of women in the workplace where if you have a woman in power, she might feel that there is only space for one woman at the top. So she doesn't necessarily want to help other women get there or feels threatened by other women because there can only be one and that's obviously a scarcity mindset thing because it comes from the concept that there is not enough space for women in leadership. I mean but I have experienced that before where you you do see it often where especially with those specific types of power dynamics where it does feel very much like I don't want to help you because if I help you then there's less available for me. I, I've had this as well for in friendships where there was a period of time when I was younger where I did not want to introduce my friends to each other who didn't already know each other. And in hindsight, I know now that that's because I very much operated from a scarcity mindset. I thought that if my friends met people who were better than me or more interesting than me, then they would love me less, <laughs> which, <Aww>. is, <laughs> which isn't the healthiest place to uh to operate as a friend from I know differently now and the same with dating as well it's very much if somebody else is able to find love then there's just one less man for you to (laughs) for you to find yeah I've had similar feelings with dating and scarcity mindset where you're with someone and you feel like even though it's quite clearly not working they are the person for you because there isn't enough like love in the world or you know there's there's not enough people who are right for you they must be the one who's right for you and therefore you kind of stay in a bad situation yeah and it took you so long to find this person or it feels like you had to go through so much to find this person that when you do find them it's just you don't want to let it go because you're like well I don't want to start all over from scratch because there's just not that many people left yeah exactly you feel like if you 
go and become single again that you will never find anyone else and that is a classic scarcity mindset which I'm pleased to say we've now both grown out of like that's definitely something I felt when I was younger but I feel I've matured now you have you've overcome it definitely just in time to find love yes (laughs) (laughs) I have found love and you know if he leaves me I will obviously be really sad but it's not in the same way that I would have felt in the past where I'd feel like oh my god this is the only person in the world for me and this it's has to work out. impossible that yeah. there is anyone else. Yeah. But also, please don't leave me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, don't leave her because I can't, I, I can't be her everything again. <laughs> you got to stay with her. You know who you are. So I, the way that I think that the way that I overcame it was I, I didn't set off to specifically change my mindset around scarcity. I set off to examine the premise that I was working from and the premise that I was working from was very much of a being in a relationship is better than being single. Mm. And that, as I'm sure you will agree, is a very dangerous premise. I talk about it a lot on my other podcast, which I'll link, leave in the link in the show notes. It's called Looms and Me. It is called Looms and Me, yes. But I do a whole episode about talking to single women. And that's effectively the premise of that was if you believe that being in a relationship is better than being single, you're going to operate very much from a scarcity mindset because you're thinking this is a race and the goal is to get out of being single eventually at some point. So when others around you are getting into relationships and finding love, even if you're happy for them, a part of you still feels like one less person one less uh, fish in the barrel for me to uh to to pluck out and you know then it feels like you're being left behind because you're like love is finite in a sense yeah and by tackling that initial premise for me helped me a side product of that was it helped me overcome the scarcity mindset that I was operating from and I'm now in a very different place I have not found love open to love obviously but have not found anything uh, worth discussing but now when things don't work out it's it's less I'm more willing to let things go because it's not like you are the one you (laughs) you are the person who's going to save me from all of this I can't start from (laughs) scratch with somebody else well even right there is nobody (laughs) there is nobody exactly that's the the concept exactly I think it's a good place to operate from obviously but it just takes a lot of pressure off. It takes a lot of pressure off because I no longer come from a place of, it's so rare, I used to say it's so rare for me to find somebody that I fancy. And that's such a dangerous place to come from because if you're thinking to yourself, it's rare for me to find somebody that I fancy, that means that there's only X number of people that you will ever fancy. Mm -hmm. And so when one doesn't work out, all of a sudden it's like there's fewer people left for you to potentially fancy. That tiny pool has just got tiny. Even exactly. And yeah, it's a it's a it's a premise that I highly recommend if you examine and see if that's something that you accidentally subscribe to. It was never an intentional thing that I chose to subscribe to. It was just something that I had somewhere, somehow ingested and did not realize that I was, that was at the core of, of where, of my sort of life manual, if you will. It's not always that straightforward, though. Like, Jeeves, do you know how you overcame your scarcity mindset in the dating world? 
I don't, to be honest. I haven't thought about it a huge amount. I wonder if it's just getting older and more experience and getting to like know myself a bit better but I can't pinpoint an exact sort of thought pattern that I changed in the same way that you can but I definitely feel that I perceive these kind of situations differently now but it's unclear why yeah and and I think it's very normal to not necessarily to to recognize that behavior in yourself but not necessarily know how to overcome it but one we did see one example of this is going to be a TV show. <laughs> what a surprise. I don't know if I mentioned, but I watch a lot of television and I will not be judged for it. But there is a phenomenal example of what it could look like to overcome this scarcity mindset in a reality TV show called The Ultimatum. Yep. So it's on Netflix. And I bet you didn't expect a trashy dating <laughs> Netflix TV show to teach us about a psychological concept but yeah here we are here we are i will find any excuse to watch a show and i will justify it academically in any way shape or form <laughs> the reason i pitched this show to jeeves because as we mentioned i have to pitch shows to jeeves to get her to watch them so we can talk about them but i pitched the show to jeeves because i thought it was a great example of how the scarcity mindset can hold you back and and this was the show approaches a very controversial some would say way of getting people to see that actually what they consider to be scarce isn't. Mm. And the premise of the show is a, it's a collection of couples and the couples have been together for anything from between two and five years already. And in the couple, one person has issued an ultimatum. So one person potentially says, I want to be married and, or I want to have kids and the other person isn't sure. So the couple to so the, the uh, person who's issuing the ultimatum says, I want to be married by this date and if you don't want to do it, then I'm, we're, I'm walking away. So it's couples who have reached this point in their relationship where they can't agree on what their future should be. And so they all come on the show and they spend a week getting to know the other couples. And at the end of the week, they have to choose somebody from another couple to live with as a married couple for three weeks. And so after they live with this new person for three weeks, they then go and live with their the person they came to the show with for three weeks and at the end of that, they have to make a decision about whether or not they, what part of the ultimatum they want to do. Do they want to marry this person, which is the ultimatum, or do they want to potentially go off with the new person that they've connected with, or do they just want to walk away from the whole situation? The reason why I think the show is such a good example of getting, of the value of getting beyond the scarcity mindset is because, because it forces you to have to be with somebody else, someone that you potentially did not set off to be with because they're choosing from other couples and choosing based on whatever connections they're making with these, these other people. It sh shows you that it is possible for you to find connections with other people besides your partner. Yeah. And so it puts your relationship into a new, into a different lens because you now get to know, okay, well I can connect with other people so if I'm going to be with the person I came on the show with, it's because I choose to, not because I feel like this is my person and this is the only person who will ever be right for me. But you watched the show too, Jeeves, didn't you, in the end? Yeah, so I've watched a few episodes of the show. I haven't watched till the end, so I don't actually know what happens. But in the first couple of episodes, what I thought was interesting was these people are getting to know 
everyone else in this show and there's a point at which they have to say okay I want to couple up with this other person and and this kind of decision scene and in that some people who were issued an ultimatum so for example one of the guys whose girlfriend said I want to get married and he had previously said oh I'm, I'm not sure yet decided to propose essentially because of scarcity mindset he was afraid that she would actually meet one of these other guys and realize that yeah I could find a connection with someone else I don't need to marry him in the end so uh he proposed which I feel is not gonna last (laughs) but I thought that was quite interesting yeah and it's it's such a good example of how having a scarcity mindset doesn't always serve you because it again it you know he didn't want to get married for reasons I'm sure yeah but he's going through with it anyway because it's better to instead of it's not in his best interest he he just doesn't want to lose this person yeah he doesn't want her to meet someone else and then he ends up alone yeah even though they clearly want different things yeah. at the moment yeah so it's that I thought that was a really great example so give that give that a watch if you want to see that in action it's um it's an interesting t- I mean it's a reality tv show about dating <laughs> so yeah not super intellectual but no. it was an interesting example of this point for sure yeah So we talked about situations where scarcity mindset can hurt us, like dating and at work in some instances, but there are also situations where it can help us. And the difference between the situations where it can help and hurt are when the thing in question is actually finite. So some examples of that are our attention. So our attention is finite. We can only focus on so many things and our times another example so obviously we only have a limited amount of time we probably do need to be quite mindful of how we're using it and choosing to spend time on one thing does mean choosing not to spend time on something else so it's contextual essentially completely it is contextual and so it's not a case necessarily of you of no longer having a scarcity mindset it's a case of turning it into your superpower and making sure that whatever you are protecting or guarding is actually finite. We only have, you see the memes every all, all the time, we only have 24 hours in a day. <laughs> Controversial. <laughs> Which I abhor. I abhor that meme. However, we do only have 24 hours in a day. And so choosing how we spend that time or how we're able to spend that time if you're able to apply scarcity mindset to that, it can it can help with adding clarity to priorities or the things that you do want to prioritize, whatever those things might be. So I find I find it that a helpful way to start thinking about getting out of the traps. Something like that isn't scarce is love. Yeah. You look at parents and parents will have their first baby and be overwhelmed with how much they love this little creature (laughs) (laughs) we do not have kids but I see it in other people and it's wonderful to see how overwhelmed and overjoyed with love that they didn't know the capacity to love that they didn't know that they had 
And so the idea of having a second child for I have a couple of friends who can't just can't imagine that they could possibly have any more love to give. And of course, love is completely infinite. And so that's why you're able to have lots and lots of these sprogs. (laughs) 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 I get so uncomfortable talking about that. Um, What are they called? Children, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Those things. Yeah, I have a few of those. And you're able to continue to love exponentially so having a scarcity mindset around love or the idea of love can also can can is usually quite an unhelpful way to see the world if you look at the migrant crisis for instance and how what's happening with refugees there is this whole idea that our resources are finite our capacity as human beings british human beings is finite we can't help everybody whether you agree that that's right or wrong when policies are made from a scarcity mindset, you see what we see today where, yeah. oh, we have unlimited resources for one group of people, but we have we can't help everybody when it comes to another group of people. So it's once you start looking out for it or and once you start becoming aware of it, you start to see it everywhere, I feel. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I just had a thought on the things that we said are kind of okay to have a scarcity mindset about so things like time and I think that it's true but also you don't want to go overboard and let it make you super anxious so you know yes it's true that time is finite but that could also that thought and particularly overthinking it could also lead you down a maybe not so helpful path yeah, I, I definitely suffer from that at times, too, where I feel like I'm always behind where I'm supposed to be. So yeah. a helpful thought for me is when I start to feel that sort of, oh, I've, I, well, I'm just going to scrap today. I, I'm already behind. It doesn't matter. I'm just going to scrap this. My thought then becomes I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. And saying nice. that for me brings me a lot of peace. But you'll have a thought that's that rea- that incites a different feeling in you. So that's something to be that's a great call out, I think. And something to definitely be mindful of is what story are you telling yourself about the scarcity of the thing that you're trying to protect? Yeah, exactly. It's something that, you know, could be, as Loom said, your superpower, but you don't want to turn it into something that you're overthinking. Well, I think that is all for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks. And if you want to get in touch with us, you know where to reach us. Join the group chat. All the details are in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, give us a follow and a rating wherever you're listening to this. Share it with your friends and also people you don't really even like. Send us questions and dilemmas and anything else that's been on your mind. We'd love to hear from you and we will share our favorites on future episodes. All right. Bye for now. Bye.